0: Well, it's a great joy to have Prophet Ed. Brother Ed, would you just stand here and let's just pray over him for a moment. We'll applaud in a moment. Let's just pray. Thank you, Lord, that uh, Brother Ed, Prophet Ed Trout, is a servant of the Lord. And thank you that he is desirous of obeying you with every fiber of his being. I thank you for a beautiful anointing that flows through him now as he just responds to what you initiate. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give a big, warm hand of welcome? Hallelujah. you got to use the microphone? Okay. All right, God is good. And the devil can go to hell. (laughs) But none of you, right? I cannot tell you in any language that I can speak, which is a few, but I can promise you, I cannot explain to you how much and how important you are, and how much God loves you. His love is very intense for you. He made billions of angelic beings to serve Him. They are phenomenally powerful and can move through space and time and take on different shapes, millions of them, to serve Him. After disappointment with them, He then created man in His image. You know, when you have a puppy and they get pregnant, you know what's coming. If you have, if you're a farmer and you have cows, you know when that cow begins to carry what's coming out. But God said, let us make man in our image. Copies of us. Let's take this DNA we have and use it to make man. No angel, not one angelic being was made in his image. And God in his kindness, instead of giving us such a powerful body to move through space and time and complicate things, he put us in this mortal body from this planet to give us a time and space to learn to know him. Because that's what God is pursuing is a relationship with us individually. God has the capacity to love you so much as if you're the only only child he has. I've learned in my journey with the Lord that his love for us makes him weak. I have 10 grandchildren and one of my granddaughters, who's now in the Navy, believe it or not, I'm an old person, when she was little, she's traveled with me so many times, she's been here so many times in this church even, her name is Abigail, when she did not want me to leave on a trip. She would anchor herself on one of my legs and just sit on the floor and say, you're not going, Grandpa. And she would try to keep me. And although I was in a hurry to get to the airport, I was stuck, not because I couldn't shake off my leg, but because my love for her was so intense that I could not hurt her or make her uncomfortable by moving so I would be stationary. She had the power over me. I was weak because of my love for her. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels. His love for us made him surrender it all, give up all his strength. His love for you so intense, please do not, do not measure God's love for you or favor in your life by your circumstances. Circumstances change all the time. They can be very deceiving. God's word is true and consistent and he loves you very intensely. Don't miss out on life because you're waiting for something to happen. Wake up every morning with an excitement to fellowship and to commune with him. As I said in the earlier service, my biggest anxiety or fear in my soul is for my brethren who become disconnected from God. In John 15, Jesus said, remain in me which suggests that we can know him, be part of him, and then get disconnected from him. I've seen many ministries succeed and do great things and become disconnected from God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, that day he'll say, didn't we cast out devils? You cannot cast the devil out if you're not God's child. And i will say, I don't know you. Not that you don't know him, he doesn't know you. He can't know you if you don't fellowship with him. I really urge and plead with you to take time out in your 24-hour schedule to spend some time with him. Not with your shopping list of things you want him to do for you, but rather just to commune, to listen for him, to speak to you, to commune with you because he so wants to. But you've got to take time and get quiet in your heart. He's longing for those times. He waits for them anxiously. Let me tell you that with Adam and Eve, he came in the cool of the day. It wasn't his day. He didn't have a day. He has no time. So he waited for Adam to get up in the morning, to not early morning when he had faced the whole day's chores or lunchtime when it was hot and bothersome, or even when he was about to fall asleep at night, but rather in the cool of the day when it was so opportune for this house that God had given him. He waited for a few minutes, a sliver of that 24-hour cycle that Adam found himself in, as do you. And God so wants to spend time with you, and he will talk to you if you'll take time to listen. It is the most important thing in your life. Above all else, guard your heart because out of it come the issues of life. Don't just strive to be a good Christian. Strive to become intimate and fellowship and one with him. Get to know him because he loves you so intensely. He longs to fellowship. He's not moved or troubled or concerned or, or even bothered by your struggles and your weaknesses he hates wickedness but he's very tolerant of weaknesses he said that Judas was wicked he said he was evil he was a devil and yet Peter was about to betray him three times where Judas only denied him or betrayed him once Peter denied Jesus three times and it's so strange that Jesus was not concerned he said to Peter you're going to deny me three times he says but I prayed for you and when you come back I want you to encourage the brethren when you come back well, he was already restored before he fell. That's the, that's the Savior you have. The devil loves to capitalize and put shame on you because you struggle. Whatever weakness you have, and God's not stressed by that. He's more concerned about the wickedness of heart, the unforgiveness, the hatred, the judgments, the things that come from deep inside. Jesus said it's not what, what comes in that defiles; what comes out, what's inside of us. So the only way to keep that right is to be intimate and timely with the Lord every day of your life. Can you say amen to that? I'm not teaching the same thing in the first session that I didn't, so I'd like to teach out of the Book of John again, uh, to, or taught earlier, please, if you weren't here and you'd like to get the teaching, it's available in CDs They're only 5,000 rand, not a big deal. <laughs> Life has changed so radically. When I was just hardly, hardly married, my wife's father said to me, he, doesn't, he said, doesn't understand where things are going. Bread's already 18 cents for a loaf of bread. He said, one of these days you'll go to, to the store and you can't even buy a bread with a rand, he said. Well, that was years ago and you, now it's 20 rand to buy a loaf of bread. Things have changed radically, but yet God has always provided. You still buy bread. You still throw old bread away. You still drive a car, even though you say they're so expensive, even though you say you're petrol, right? Petrol. Your gas prices are so high, you still drive because God provides. All right. So the book of John, chapter 5, a very interesting man John was. He was a young teenager when he met Jesus, and he died late in his 90s of an age, rather than being a martyr. He wrote his book himself with the help of his Turkish disciples, very interesting man. In the book of John, chapter 5, I'm going to read to you in a moment. I want to tell you that Jesus did many miracles. He did many miracles in Jerusalem, but only two of them were ever Told us, Only two miracles were named, and both of them are in the book of John, and both of them were on the Sabbath, and both of them <laughs> were in a most unusual setting near a mikvah, which is a holy pool, a pool that you get cleansing in, and we're going to go to the first one in I want to not, the, the John 5, I want to talk to you about, is verse 1, some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Jews. And just for those who are not familiar, if he went from Galilee to Jerusalem for the feast, it would take him at least a week to get there. It wasn't like you get in the car and just drive there, it's a long way to walk. Now, they're in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, and there are seven gates in Jerusalem officially. There's now eight at the moment because of the Catholics opened the Another gate, but the time of Jesus, this sheep gate is now known as the Lion's Gate. But at the time, it was the sheep gate, just very close to the northern entrance to the temple, and it's on the gate on the east side. And it was called the sheep gate because the Bedouin would sell their sheep. Until 90 years ago, they still sold sheep at that gate, and people would use the sheep to sacrifice then and buy and go to the festival. You must understand the enormity and the size of the temple in the time of Jesus. It's still that way today. The is the size of 14 rugby fields. So you could have 3,000 people in the temple area on, at any festival sacrificing thousands of sheep in one day because it was festival time. It was a big thing to have, have the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Lots of people from all over the world came. And so there's a, there is a, a sheep's gate just on the northeast side and near that gate is a pool. Which is in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Think of a gazebo, or a, I don't know what you call it in, um, uh, here in this country. But uh, think of a place you sit on the outside with, with a roof, on a thatched roof, or maybe with many pillars. But think five of these around two pools, and they and this the Bible says here a great number, a uh, measure. Of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, big chunk of his life. And he laid there and he was 38 years. And when Jesus saw him laying there and learned that means someone told him that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he, Jesus asks him, Do you want to get well? And he's there where all the sick people are waiting for the pool to be troubled, and Jesus says, do you want to get well? What was the answer? No, I'm actually just laying here, because I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> he's, why would Jesus ask him that? I'll tell you why. Because you need a connection for your faith to flow. And there are many things that connect. The woman that touched the hem of his garment, his garment had, didn't have a special anointing. Her faith, he said, healed her, but she needed the connection. Do you want a good world? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man who was cured picked up the mat and walked. The day on which this took place was Sabbath, Shabbat. Very important holy day. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. Jesus, you had to tell him to pick up a mat. You couldn't just leave his mat there. Why didn't you tell him just get up, go? Why I had to take the mat? You knew that we shouldn't say that. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who? Who is this man who told you to pick up your mat and walk? You, you, don't, you don't know who healed you? You're at the temple now. You were all these years at this pool of, of Bethesda and you're all this time sick, and you heal miraculously, and you have no clue who said it to you? No, come on, I'm a little confused now. So Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda, all these sick people, a whole lot of people that are sick, and he heals one man and doesn't even preach the gospel to him? I'm I'm really confused. I don't know why you'd do that, Jesus. In fact, if I was a disciple with him, I'd say, Lord, could we just... Hang out here for a while. There are a lot more sick people. Let's have a service. But it seems to me, Jesus went in with a very much a specific mission to this pool of sick people and looks for a certain kind of, when he learned he was lame, he said, do you want to get well? And then he says, get your mat, let's get out of here. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. He slipped away. It was there. Later, Jesus found him. Later, later, Jesus found him at the temple. No longer the pool. He said, see you well again. Stop sinning. Stop sinning? Jesus, stop stop sinning? He's lame. 38 years, he's sinning? (laughs) What does a lame man sin? What does he do? But he's sinning because he was disconnected from God. He wasn't saved. He wasn't serving God. Something worse may happen to you. What's worse than being lame? Eternal destruction. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. Now you found out. So because Jesus was doing these things on a Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. They didn't care that if someone got healed miraculously, it was it was doing something on a Sabbath. Funny thing that to me. Funny thing that these Pharisees would tell him that all these miracles he was doing was by the power of the devil. They don't rejoice that someone's getting healed. They're just more concerned about the law. Jesus said to them when they picked up stones to stone him in John 11, he said, which of the miracles are you stoning me? They said, we're not stoning you for the miracles. We're stoning for what you're saying. They didn't care about the supernatural. They just want to, to keep and safeguard their religion. I hope that's not you. I hope that you don't keep your religion to yourself. I hope that you search and chase after God with all of your heart, not... The religion. Religion is a your worst enemy, not the devil, not the world, religion, because it looks so real. And what kind of person gets saved and goes back to religion? You foolish Galatians. Who bewitched you? You started out in the grace and ended up in the law. What kind of man are you, Aaron? You saw God open the Red Sea. Why the hell? (laughs) Why the hell? Would you go let them build a golden calf when you know who God is? Why would you do that? What is wrong with you, boy? Because religion is so appealing because you can control it. You can't control walk of faith. You can only, but you can control your religion. And that's what the devil's trying to push us away from God to make something that looks just like it. Don't do it. Keep your relationship going with God, please. And so... Uh, So because Jesus was doing this on a Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Verse 17 said, Jesus said to them, this is my key verse for you this morning. My father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. When everything seems so confusing and chaotic in your life, or things aren't working out the way you like, I'm here to tell you, Jesus says... My father is always at work, and so am I. God is working. You may not see it, feel it, experience it right now, but he's busy doing something. Jesus did many things that were unexplainable to the disciples. They didn't get it. I mean, think about it. Picture how this works. They're up on the Transfiguration Mountain. Moses, one of the most profound figures in the Israeli faith and history... And Elijah, up on the mountain with him. And Peter's right there. I mean, if I was there, I'd be asking, can I ask a question? I've I've got so much I want to know. Moses, I want to to, to have a quick talk. You know what Peter's up to? Uh, Shall I build a tent? That's the best he can come up with. They come down the mountain. You know what Jesus says? Don't tell anyone. Why? Why is this a secret? There were so many things he was doing that they couldn't understand. And when I saw him go to the pool of Bethesda with all these sick people, only heal one man and not even give the gospel to him, I thought, what would you do that for? I would think you were doing the healing so that you could bring the good news to them. It was a demonstration of power so they would receive your word. And that's what he said. If you're not going to believe my words, believe for the miracle's sake. That's what he said. So why would you heal one man without even telling him? I don't understand why you did that unless... You had a reason and a purpose. And the more, then the other miracle that's named in Jerusalem is a blind man from birth. Now, he's, this is this pool of Bethesda. is in the way north on the peninsula of Jerusalem of the city. And in the way south is this pool of Siloam. Siloam was created by Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king who tried to redirect the waters inside the mountain that come the Gihon Springs because he was being attacked by the Syrians, he thought, and so he didn't want want the water to be outside the walls, so he had these builders going down deep in the mountain and chisel out a, a redirection of that water which formed the Pool of Siloam. And it became a mikvah, which is a holy pool, which means untroubled, unfiltered, undealt, un, unpolluted. And that would become a place to get cleansed spiritually. If you're a ceremony like baptism, that's what we do mikvahs with. Now, stay with me. So he goes down that area, and there's a blind man from birth. How do you know someone's blind from birth? Does he have a sign? I've been blind since I was born. How do you know? Because the eyes are receded. They have—you can't see anything. They—the little eyelashes. There's nothing there. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Jesus goes by and looks and sees this man's got no eyes, and he thinks, uh, "Made man from dust, dust, dust. I need dust." And he gathers some dust. Ah, it's not coming together. And he spits into it, and he forms a little eyeball. And he pops it in. (laughs) It's a little muddy there, huh? Go to the Pool of Siloam and wash your eyes. And the whole thing plays out just like this other miracle, also on the Sabbath, and also having repercussions from the Pharisees. Both were on the Sabbath, and both were very debatable healings and miraculous, also not knowing he didn't know healed him, he didn't know there was no gospel spoken to him. So I thought you had a specific reason. And then I found it. Of all places in the Bible. (laughs) Who knew? First Samuel. Sorry. Second Samuel. Chapter 5 verse 6 says these words. When King David arrived at Jerusalem. It was the last of all the Philistines he hadn't overcome yet. They were called Jebusites. And they were on their wall in Jerusalem shouting down. At David you will not take the city even a blind man and a lame man will keep you out so when the son of David when the son of David came to the city he went to the north and found a lame man went to the south and found a blind man and healed him on the Sabbath because he's the Lord of the Sabbath to take full dominion spiritually And so God is always doing things in your life you don't understand, you don't get it. He didn't explain to his disciples because God's always doing supernatural peril. This must be done that all things can be fulfilled. Jesus used those phrases. He's busy in your life. He counts the hairs on your head. You don't do that. How does God have time for that? He's because you're that important to him. You have said, but I've come a full circle. It feels like we've been here before. This feels like I've done this like a repetition. You feel those things because God's completing circles in your life. You are so valuable to him. You think that you've missed God and have so many regrets, but God forcefully makes all things work together for good. He doesn't just happen to, he makes them. You are the most important entity in the entire galaxy upon galaxy. You are the most important to God. He, he's less concerned about your daily comforts because they pass. What he's more focused on is eternity with you. What's of great eternal values. And so he, every time you make a request, he's weighing it up to see how much it's gonna help you in your journey, how much it gonna have. You can have anything you want as long as it's not gonna take you away, hinder or dampen your intimacy in your pursuit of God because there's a whole eternity waiting for you that's magnificently beyond your wildest dreams and imagination. And you are so, you didn't just happen to walk into this church. God picked you. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what makes Him pick us. I don't understand why He chooses. Many are called, few are chosen, but He chose you with all your messed upness, with all the mistakes. He chose you carefully and He placed you here. You didn't accidentally happen to be here, He orchestrated because He controls the entire universe. He's the boss. Not the devil, (laughs) not the president, not the government. God's the boss. You serve an almighty God. Not mighty, almighty. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Above. All you could ask or even think. You can't even imagine the level of God's capacity. And he wants to do it for you. He doesn't say no to you. He just says, I'd like to, but this is going to hurt you right now. You grow enough and you can, whatever you believe for, because your own faith hinders you because deep in your heart, you know when it's God's will for you and you may ask for it and you don't have faith for it, but if you do have faith for it, it's going to happen because that's what he promised. He responds to faith. Faith is the commodity or the energy of the universe. God responds to faith, not your good works. Not your good personality or your looks. He responds to your faith. Faith is very impressive to God, and the devil hates it. That's why he's after your faith. When, he, when the devil attacks you, he's not after your money or your marriage. You go through one crisis after another, you think the devil's attacking you. He's not after your stuff or your marriage or your job. What he's really after is your faith. He's saying, what must I do to you to make you think there's no God? There's got to be a place that I can do something that will make you doubt that God really loves you. There must be something, because the first time he speaks in the Bible, he doesn't say to Eve, Eve, no one's looking. Go ahead, quickly, put that fruit." He says, did God really say? And then she quotes the Bible, quotes God's word, but incorrectly. That's why if you used to know God's word, why you can't read it enough and listen to it enough, why you can't get enough of God's word in you, because you need it. You need, because when the devil comes to lie to you, you can easily be, easily be distracted by the devil's lies because he can, he can persuade, he tried to persuade Jesus even with scripture. And Jesus knew the scripture. Do you understand what I'm telling you? We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, the powers and principality. He's come to divide, steal and destroy. He's not here for fun. He's here to kill you, hates you. Because you got what he can never have, God's love, God's admiration, God's whole heart. You got his whole heart. He, he didn't send an angel to die, his son to die for an angel. There wasn't one single angel that was worth even dying for or helping. But you, you were the most precious. Those angels, they only sinned once, they, the third of them, they, they rebelled. One single sin and they're going to hell. You sin more than once this week. You're not going to hell because you're redeemed. And the redeemed of the Lord should say so. That you're redeemed. Redeemed of the Lord. It is the most amazing salvation. And you're part of that family. Yeah, you've got lots to moan and complain and whine about. That's what Jews do. It's their profession. We are murmuring all the time. We murmur. It's <laughs> how are you, you see? You should ask how I am. How's business? How can you have business with a load shedding? No power. (laughs) Family, I want to tell you that right in this room, if I can get two or three people to agree, load shedding would come to an end because God can. Instead of moaning about it and sighing about it, come together and start agreeing by faith in prayer because we are the salt of the earth. COVID shouldn't have had any effect on us or this world. We should have taken command of it right in the beginning because we have authority. He said, I, all these works that I do, Jesus says, you'll do greater. And we're a lot of us, we need to come together and get focused on, on getting after that enemy and all the destruction force that he has. Do you understand? <laughs> the boss of this country is the almighty God. And when you call upon him, he'll answer us. That's what I'm saying. Hallelujah.